Hello and welcome to episode number one of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell and today I'm talking to businessman and entrepreneur Matthew Horncastle. Thank you so much for tuning in to our very first episode. Today I am chatting with Matthew Horncastle from the Williams Corporation, which in the last financial year did $48 million in sales. Not bad for anyone, but pretty inspiring considering he's only 25 years old and in the next financial year they are on track to do $88 million in sales. It's pretty incredible. We talk about their corporation, the Williams Corporation. We talk about his goal-setting process, his some of his daily routines. We talk about dealing and overcoming challenges. We talk about their company's social media marketing strategy, which they've done very successfully. Uh, we chat about their vision, what they're trying to do and why your vision needs to inspire you. There's some really cool takeaways in this. One of the other cool things we chat about is the stigma of only being 25 and, and doing as well as he is and, uh, and New Zealand's tall poppy syndrome as well. It's a really great chat. I hope it adds value to you. Have a listen, check it out, enjoy the podcast. Rock and roll. I like it. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. No problem. It's good to be here. I appreciate being invited. You're a busy man. Yeah, I do my best. Enough to be, yeah, enough to keep myself busy. I go mental if I'm not. So, and thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. It's cool to sort of talk about the the behind the scenes of life and what you've done to get to this moment. And it's nice for people to understand that it's not all smiling Instagram pictures. There's a whole lot of hardship in the background. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the idea. I mean, it's called the road to success. The idea is to uncover people that have, you know, had levels of success in their life and sort of figure out what's behind it, what takes it. And ultimately, I guess, empower listeners to sort of help them on their own road. So we appreciate your time. And for people that are listening that maybe don't know who you are, could you maybe go into a little bit about your background and what's led you to where you are today and, in fact, what it is you do today? Yeah, so the headlines of who I am today, I'm Matthew Horncastle. I'm a co-owner of Williams Corporation, myself and Blair Chapel own Williams Corporation. It's the second largest construction company in Christchurch, which is New Zealand's second largest city. Last year, we sold 115 homes. This year, we're on track to sell 180 and everything we do is a turnkey product. So we buy the land, design apartments and sell them. We're not building for customers, we're creating our stock and then selling it. So we'll sort of look to do $88 million of sales this year. So it's a rather big company. So my background, going right back, I'm from a building family. My father's a successful builder and my mother's a property. I come from one of those sick families where everyone's in construction, like aunties, uncles, everyone. I was very fortunate that when I was young, my parents split up. And when they split up, I went to live with my mother. And so I got to be the man of the house, which was great for a young person because you have a level of empowerment. And what was really cool, my father was successful and my mother was successful as well, but very modest. And what that did for me when I was growing up was I lived in a more modest, upper middle class lifestyle, but my father was successful. So I always felt poor. I'd go and see my father and his friends and I always felt poor. And like when you are all middle class or all poor or all wealthy, there's no change, it's all the same. Where when you go from one class to another, it really becomes quite apparent, the difference. You saw that contrast. Yeah, there was really that contrast. So I had that base level of hunger where I knew that I had to go do something more because I wasn't happy where I was. 
I was very against the education system. I just hated every part of it. Just couldn't get on with teachers, didn't like school. Did you finish school, high school? No. I left home when I was 15. I went and lived with my mother's sister's ex-husband. My father did help me out with the rent, though, because I only I used to string tennis rackets at a sports shop and wash dishes in a kitchen, so I didn't have very much money. So I left home when I was 15. I left school on my 16th birthday and got a job as a building apprentice. And it was so lucky. There was no work around at that time. And so I was 16 and I got sent off to the West Coast building cow sheds, living in pubs. So I'd live in a pub with three 30-year-old builders and build cow sheds. And what's great about that, one, you have to eat in a pub, live in a pub, you work with men, you sit with men. If you're lippy, you get punched. Like there's no PC, there's no caring about your feelings. It's you work hard, you participate or you Pull your weight. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like it. And um, the other good thing about building on the West Coast, we did everything. We mixed our own concrete, we put on our own roofs. Like It's a different kind of work. So one, you grow up very quickly, but two, you end up with this meta knowledge of how things go together because you've done them all. Mm-hmm. You're not just a cog in the machine, you're the entire machine. So I was very lucky in that level of training I got. On my 18th birthday, oh, actually, you know, going back from that, so when I was 17, I started my first business. I would work all week, sort of like a 50-hour week, 10 hours a day, and I'd get $500 in my hand after tax. So it was about $13 an hour. And then I went and did a cash job one weekend and built a fence, and I made $1,000 in a day. And I was like, holy shit, this business thing's awesome. You're the wrong side of the wheel, yeah. So I started a business and I used to do jobs like um, pouring concrete patios, building fences, building sheds, and and I made good money. I um, I could make pretty much four times my wages uh, as an apprentice every weekend. So I, I had money to buy my tools and buy a vehicle and I was quite a wealthy young man with what I was making. And on my 18th birthday, the earthquakes happened in Christchurch. So for those that don't know, there was a, it was the largest insured event in history. It was a massive earthquake that essentially destroyed most of Christchurch's mm. city and surrounding suburbs. 30,000 people lost their homes. So on that day, my father called me. So I never lived in the same town as my father. I lived up in Nelson and he lived on Christchurch. And he called and he said, I don't quite understand what's happened, but there's going to be an opportunity and you should be here. So I quit my job and came down to Christchurch. And from that moment on, I was completely self-employed. So it was quite funny. I used to employ the builder that was signing off me and my apprenticeship. (laughs) So I owned the company and got the work and built houses and I employed the guy who was signing off, signing off my carpentry. So So how long was that after the earthquake happened? You came down and you started your business in Christchurch then? You launched your business? Yeah, straight. I moved quickly. Everything, when a decision was made, it happened straight away. Good. Say, Say by now I'm 19, I had five guys working for me building houses and I was a qualified builder. I was really going through that process where I'd started making money, I started paying tax, I had confidence, I was quite confident in myself, I knew I was good at my job, but we worked hard, like there were no weekends or holidays or feelings or sick days, like it was every single day we worked like really hard. And at this time, my now business partner Blair was my 2IC, so I bought a whole lot of, it was quite funny, when there's change, there's opportunity. And there was a change around health and safety. And you had to put fencing around all the building sites. Up until then, we never used to fence off construction yeah. sites. And so this change happened and we had to fence it. So I brought in 5,000 lineal metres of temporary fencing out of China. So I was fencing off building sites. 
And it was a great part of my life because I had the builders that would make money and I had the temporary fencing which would make money and I really started to understand business and get a handle on it and have staff and pay tax. So at this point, my father's business, which is a large construction company, Horncastle Homes, they got a big contract from an insurance company to build essentially doubling their production. And so I got a phone call from his general manager saying, hey, Matt, we've got this big contract. We need good people. Do you want to come work in the business? And I, I had good people working for me at the time. I was doing well. And I thought, you know what, that'd be really cool. So I sold half my business to my now business partner, Blair, and he managed all of that stuff. And I went into Horncastle Homes, where we we went from 70 homes under construction to 150. We're building 300 a year. It was a small team. It was amazing. And where that was a valuable chapter in my life was I learned about corporates. I learned how big businesses function. I learned how big transactions function. Like I got worked hard. Like I would get. Yeah. I worked it out one day. My phone rang every eight minutes, and I used to get 150 emails a day. Like, uh, yeah. but and everyone in the team was like that. We worked really hard. But after a year, that didn't work for me. I didn't want to be in a family business. I wanted to carve my own destiny. I wasn't, it just didn't work. So I left that and I, I was making twice my salary from my part-time business. So it was just, there was no reason to stay in the job I was yep. in. So Blair and I, we sat down together and we were making good money from our builders and we were making good money from the temporary fencing and we're like, right, let's conquer the world. We're young, ambitious 21-year-olds. We thought we could have everything and do everything. And this is a fatal mistake we made in hindsight, but I'll, I'll talk through what happened. We thought, well, each business is making 150 grand a year. All we have to do is make seven businesses and we'll make a million dollars a year. So we had a consultancy business, we started a waste management business, we had a civil company, we had an energy company. So we had 32 staff across about eight different businesses. And we were good at what we did and it started well and kind of went okay. And then at about 22, you really hit crunch, like nasty stuff, losing money. We lost our entire net worth that we had made. Because nothing ever, things don't come in ones, it's not one problem, it comes in threes, like a little bit of staff stealing from you, you have a couple of bad contracts, you don't have your eye on the ball, you have a few people not pay you. Like there's, there's, there's a whole series of things that went wrong. But the fundamental problems was we'd spread ourselves too thin and we were doing things we didn't love. Yeah. So... We sat down one day and it was awful, like awful. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, sort of like sitting on the shower floor crying, wondering how you're going to pay your bills sort of shit. We had lost all our money. We were actually in debt. But the, the good thing about when you have debt in property, you don't necessarily have to sell the property. So you could have lost, say, $500,000 across five properties, but you don't have to sell them. You can realise that debt at a later date. So that was probably our one saving factor. Um, a lot of our losses, we didn't have to realise straight away, and that was probably the main thing that saved us. And so we sat down and we're like, right, we have to change something. This is bullshit. What do we do? And we're like, well, we're good at property. When we bought properties, renovated them, sold them, we did well. When we bought properties and we built new properties, we did well. Let's just do it all in 110%. We're good at it. Let's smash it. So, Was that decision made just between the two of you? Yep. Or you just sat down and said, right, what just are we good at? Sit this down on the couch. Yeah, let's do it. it. And right. so, so we made the decision. We wrote the killing list. That's what we called it. And it was essentially sacking everyone. The killing list. Getting rid of all the vehicles, all the diggers, all the trucks. And it was a whole year of pain, man. Whole year of firing people, finishing contracts, trying to get paid, moving equipment, doing everything. 
we culled it all down and we built, it all blurs, but the first year, well, we still owned everything, we built about nine homes and the next year we built about 30. Last year we built about 70. This year we're building 100 and something. And it all sort of blurs when the line stopped and started, but the, the main saving factor is we were good at building houses and we just got stuck in and started building houses. And the moment when we became successful wasn't then. We were still building standalone homes out in the subdivisions. And the defining moment when we became successful was we bought some high-density sites. The ethos around what we're doing is, at the moment there's 7.5 billion people living on this planet. Before we die, you and I, there's going to be anywhere from 10 to 12 billion people. And these people can't all live 40 minutes from town in a standalone house, 160 square metres with a two-car garage. Like, like it's just not sustainable. We can't live on a planet like that. So we started just looking, hey, how can people live? And we started coming up with high density and we had, we, there's probably more me, I'm very clever with spatial awareness and how to make things fit. So we had some really clever high-density homes. And from the moment we had high-density homes, we were away. We were just out of control. We bought amazing land. We could fit more on sites than anyone else. We could get them looking better than anyone else. It's so funny. We use the most expensive materials in the market, but we're still the cheapest sale price because we're so efficient and how we fit everything on. With space. Yeah. yeah, so from that point, so being high quality, central city, residential house, we're away. I would tell you the day, is April last year, we designed 10 houses right next to Latimer Square. Beautiful design, beautiful development, put them to the market, sold it in 36 hours. And so from then, it was $4 million worth of real estate, whack, 36 yeah. hours done. So from that moment on, we're away. So you stopped doing the other residential subdivision stuff? Nothing. No, no. never bar of it. So it's all central city. Yeah, yep. and you got rid of the other things? The, the, everything, everything else is everything. just where you've yep. really narrowed down a niche. Yep. So now all I do is I buy amazing land. I build high-quality residential homes. We're now investors because we're at that chapter of life now. So we keep 15% of everything we build. And this is my purpose in life. My purpose is that guy that buys amazing land, builds high-quality real estate, um, but affordable. So we try and sort of be anywhere from 10 to 20% under the median sale price. And when you're buying the best land and you're using the best materials, how do you achieve being 10 to 20% under the median sale price? You have to make some sacrifices. So the sacrifices we normally make is car parks. So I quite often don't put car parks on a development. Or another sacrifice will be space. So like commonly we'll do like a 50 square metre one bed or a 70 square metre two bed plus an outdoor living of say 20 squares. Okay. So yeah, I, I think location shouldn't be sacrificed, quality shouldn't be sacrificed, but I'm, to achieve that really affordable price point, I'm happy to sacrifice car parks yeah. or... Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. And you said you keep 15% of everything. Is that you mean you retain it and rent it out? Yeah, so so a block of 20 would keep three. Yeah, yeah. and rent them out. Yeah, rent them out, yeah. Cool. How many developments have you done now? As of today, we have 90 under construction. We've delivered somewhere in the vicinity of 140 homes, and we have another. On our stock sheet, there's 220, so less 90 under construction, so yeah. we have more ahead of us as well. So, yeah. And we're selling about 15 every month at the moment but I'm just building our sales team up stronger now. So hopefully next time I see you, that'll be 20 or 25. For us to be the largest builder in Christchurch, which is my current goal, we'd need to be writing 25 sales every month. 
Cool. That's cool stuff, eh? Yeah, what a, what a story. Yeah. You diversified a little bit. You came back to property. Was that something that you always intended on? Like, did you have a, a passion for property or was it simply just that you realized you were good at it and you're like, this is a strength of ours. We're good at it. Let's go all in. I think like one comes with the other. It's so funny. What led me away from property was insecurity. Like when you start, I didn't want to be in property because I didn't want people to think I was successful because my father or my family or this or that. And I was just insecure and all that's just bullshit. So I went and did all these other things to like prove to people I was good enough, but no one actually gives a shit because everyone has their own problems. So it was just this silly insecurity I had which led me on this tangent. And once you earn your own self-respect, you don't care and you do what you're good at. And everyone has exposure, right? Everyone has exposure to things. And when you have exposure, you're naturally good at something. I'm naturally good at construction. I'm trained as a builder. I've been on building sites since I could first walk. I can walk through a building site. I can see problems miles before they happen. I can look at a set of plans. I know if it's right or wrong. I know where the problems are going to be. I can picture building a house as I draw it by hand. Like I still hand draw all of our projects before the architect does. And then because I'm good at it, I like it because I enjoy being good at shit. Everyone likes doing shit they're good at. Yeah, it makes sense. So yeah, it's, it's chicken and egg stuff. But I think that the exposure and then being good at it and winning makes me like it. And it is, look, construction's a great industry because it's real, it's it's tangible. Like you drive past and it's, I built that. So Must yeah, be satisfying. It. Yeah, it is good for your soul. Yeah, I can so. imagine. And what I find cool now is as you've narrowed down to property, you've also set your company a, a pretty inspiring vision, which I see on a number of your <laughs> billboards around town. Maybe you want to share that? I'll, I'll just go back on that story. So, when we first started the group of companies, it was before we started losing money, we jumped up little shits and our our mantra was here to change the world. And it was quite funny because you don't change the world, the world changes you. So we, we had life beat us up and we decided that wasn't that appropriate. So then our next slogan was the people's property developers. And that was because developers have a shit name. They go broke, they do a bad job. Like you have builders that normally have a good name, housing companies who have an okay name, and then developers who have a trash name. And so we wanted to be like use high quality products, look after our customers, but then we decided that was a bit communist. And so <laughs> now um, so now our mantra is we're building the most livable city. And what that means is I love Christchurch. I love this place. It's, it's a beautiful city. We've got so much potential. We've got good people. We've got a $35 billion rebuild. We have the beautiful Hagley Park. We're in the South Island in New Zealand with the most amazing nature in the world. And if we build lots of high-quality, affordable residential homes and we get lots, thousands and thousands of people living in the city, then the businesses will flourish and we'll get world-standard restaurants and bars and we can do something truly special. Like, I want to take the title from Melbourne. I want to win. Like, everything I do, I do to win. And if I'm going to build houses here, it's because I'm not just building a house so I can get paid some money. I'm building the best house so the customers can have the best quality of life and we can have the best city. Because it's not very inspiring to wake up to go be average. No, not at all. <laughs> that's in a great vision. I really love that. I think that's really cool. How old are you? 25. That's a big vision for anyone. But yeah. for, for 25, that's... Um that's epic. And what I, when I think of a property developer, you know, in my head, I think, you know, like older man or woman is, you know, grey or no hair, dressed in a suit, fancy sports car, probably quite astute, maybe a little bit rude. And, you know, here you are in jeans and a T-shirt <laughs> building a city. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. And it's, I have a lot of property developer friends and you do have to be a bit different because 
the quantity of risk we take on is a lot and we have to take on the risk right at the front when we're buying land and designing projects and getting them started. So you have to, you have to be a bit damaged. But yeah, no, we, we try and bring that human face. Lots of our advertising has myself, my business partner, mostly me, I'm a bit more forward than him. But it's about really putting a human face to these development businesses that have actually done a pretty piss poor job of looking after their customers. And that's where I guess you stand out is that, is that you have put humans behind a rather large scale development, yeah. um, which hasn't I've never seen before. I think there's probably a lot of industries that could learn from this, that there's other industries that are being disrupted because people aren't, well, I've got friends that sell and lease commercial buildings. That's never had people as a face before. It's all, you know, because they don't think that. Uh, I guess maybe what people don't understand is that people that buy commercial real estate or that buy developments are still human beings at the end of it. Yeah, they're 100%. still on Facebook, they're still on Instagram, they still do what everyone else does. Just when they put on a suit to go to work, it's just a different... Oh, there's, there's change coming to all industries. If you're not a good person, if you're not doing the right thing, um, you will lose because there will be someone who's your competition, who is a good person, they are doing the right thing, they are sponsoring the local soccer team, they do do their maintenance or help their customer and, and they'll beat you and they'll take your market share. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good for everyone. Yeah. Oh, I agree. A really long story condensed really short. Once upon a time, a business had to be founded on you being a good person. You go back in time 300 years ago and you're Johnny with Johnny's department store. You had to be a good person so all the people in the neighbourhood would recommend you, right? Then we had the explosion of newspapers and advertising and radio. And a business could say whatever they want. They could say, buy this product because it cures cancer. They could sound good. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. Now we have Facebook. We have Instagram. Everyone has a voice. And you have to go back to those old school values of nail each transaction, do the right thing, look after your community, build a good product. Like Elon Musk is a good example of that. All he focused on was doing a good product. Just everything in that business was about doing a good product. Values-based business. Yep. I really like that. I, yeah. think, I think that's really cool as well. I heard that you know, technology is not the answer to our problems. It just exposes and magnifies what we're already doing. So if you're a shitty salesman, having a magical technology platform isn't going to make you a better salesman. Just more people are going to know your shit. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and also this is where it really shows people have been through the process because if you've been through the process, you can stand up in front of a camera and talk about things and people can see you have that background knowledge, you have the meta knowledge, you've taken the punches, you've dug the holes, you've had good projects, you've had the bad ones, you've, you've gone through that process. People can see it, people can smell it and, and that's actually what sorts like someone that goes, oh, I'm going to build three houses on the side to make an extra bit of money this year. They're just not on the same planet as us because we're every single day we're getting our product better, getting our land selection better, like absolutely nailing it. We're a, a performance lean mean machine that's perfecting this craft. Honing a craft, but yeah. all comes down to that vision of building the most livable city. Which is pretty cool. And it's cool for our customers as well because it means that they're not just buying an investment property, they're part of or buying their first home or buying their second home. They're part of something bigger, a bigger vision and a bigger plan. Absolutely, I love that. And how, uh, if we've got younger listeners, you're 25. We talked about it before, the, the stigma of age and being young, you sort of mentioned that you sort of had to wear the punches to prove that you've got the ability to do it. Is there any advice or lessons that you've learned along your way that maybe we, if you're a younger listener and you're keen to do something but you feel like you're, you are too young to do something, is there any advice you would, you would give to them? You're not. You can do whatever you want. Within reason, I'll, I'll add context to that. So, Let's say you want to be in hospitality, right? 
you don't need a piece of paper. You don't need a qualification. And to be honest, most people don't give a shit. So the best thing you can do is practical experience. Short of being like a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, there's a few With things a where you, you need you the certificate. Acquire, yep. But if you want to be an entrepreneur, like you'll learn more from setting up a lemonade stand on the side of the road than you will from any business degree because they're all so outdated. And you'll it's be- It's ironic, a, you're the people that teach business degrees are not businessmen. Well, unless he shows up in a Lamborghini, I don't <laughs> give a shit. Like, it's true though. Well, how can he teach business? And money is important. Don't go into business not money focused because money protects you and protects your customer. You have to make money. So I know a few people that are doing things and don't have a plan to monetize and it just worries me because they're incurring costs and doing things. You need money. But anyway, so you have permission. You can do it. If you go get some certificate, nothing will change and you'll still be the same insecure person. You have to just go do it and start young. One thing I've only done in the last two years, and I wish someone taught this to me at sort of 15, I have two notepads. So I have one that's kept in my bedside table and one that's kept at work. And so every night and every morning, I write my goals down in current tense like I've already achieved them. So it'll be things like, I'm selling 30 homes a month. I'm the largest builder in Christchurch. I am in great physical shape. I have great health. I have great relationships. Maybe some more specific things I had that I wanted to write some books. So I wrote some books. Maybe you want an award-winning podcast. Maybe you want to look after your mother. I don't care, but you write them down in current tense, morning and night, every so like morning an affirmation. and night. Like yeah. an affirmation. Yeah. But then, this, the second bit's important as well, when you go to work and you have your morning coffee or go to school or university or wherever you are in life, you have your tasks, and the tasks have to be in line with your affirmation. So let's say it's sell three of the pens on my website – one of your tasks needs to be sales related. If another goal is to have eight abs, another goal has to be go to the gym and do your sit-ups or your running or whatever makes abs. You're yeah. no better than I do. Yeah. Yeah. But also, once you've mastered something, you don't put it on your list. Like you don't write on your list, brush my teeth, because you already know how to brush your teeth. Unless brushing your teeth's a problem, then yeah. it might need to be on your list. <laughs> but like you don't like I don't write clear my emails, but a year ago I used to have to write clear my emails because yeah. I had my, a problem sorting my emails. Yeah. So, so it's an evolving process. Every day. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's important to acknowledge that you have the the goal, the vision, which is whatever, you know, that might be 90 days, it might be six months, it might be five years, whatever it is. But it's it's important that the actions today are in line with getting there. Because the problem is when people set these audacious goals, you know, I want to, even if it's just I want to buy my first home, so we have to save amount of money, but their current behavior is nowhere near aligned with them that's saving. That's the tasks come yeah. up. That's yep. where the, yep. the having your coffee and writing. And limit it to five, don't write 30. You might think you're real cool and write 20 and you do them one day, but then you're going to do nothing the next day. Keep it down to just five key tasks that you probably wouldn't have done if you hadn't written them down and make sure they're in line with your affirmations and your other book. But you have to write it down, the physical process of writing it down. It's so weird. Like when I first started writing down I'm not going to say the exact number, but how much I wanted to make, right? When I first wrote it down, it was such a ridiculous, unfeasible number. And then I made more than that last year. So it works. I can't say anything <laughs> other than it works. But, and, but also you've been writing that down in current tense for two years. Yeah. So when it happens, it doesn't surprise you because it might feel weird for the first month, 
but then you've ridden it down 60 times in that month and then 60 times the next month, 60 times the month after that. And like by the time you get to two years and you achieve that goal, it's just normal. You're like, of course I'm that person. I've been that person for two years. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a weird phenomenon, isn't it? And I guess people that don't do it and don't understand it think that it's it, it woo, sounds woo, woo, like we're yeah. woo, woo bullshit yeah, it's it not yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more I'm exactly the same and then it's funny isn't it when you when you look back at I'm a big visual guy so I have photos and things of goals as yeah. well and it's so cool when you you sort of go back into it and you're like man I've, it's effort like I've done that but I think what's important is also is that your goals are it's like a moving target you know like you set them it's cool but the mission is not to get there it's the journey it's the process of it that you've got to enjoy because you're on a treadmill, really, because yeah, you yeah. get to the next goal, and the only thing you do is set another goal. Like yeah. if you once you've hit your income target, you didn't stop. No, you well, just, it's you just the same. Yeah, you reset it. You feel you feel the same. Yeah, that you are right. You you have to achieve those things and be that person on a daily basis. And actually, with Facebook, you can't be one person one day and another the other. You always have to be that person. Yeah. Like if you're positioning yourself as a leader of people, a senior person in your industry, when you're walking through the car park and you see that piece of rubbish on the ground, pick it up. Like when you're walking into your office and the rubbish bins are full, empty them. Like be someone, go clean the toilets. All the leaders I know have no problem completing any task because also that's how you get the respect of your soldiers yeah. is by being at their level. Leadership's a lifestyle yeah. is, is what I learned. I think it's a really cool way. It's, it's not how well you treat the CEO, it's how well you talk to the guys cleaning the water cooler you 100%. Know? And, and when people see that that becomes aspirational mm. and that's really what makes leaders how frequently do you go over and reset goals well I do them every night and every morning yeah. as far as how often do they change I write them every night and every morning and they have minor variations and sometimes just random ones appear but I more take focus on if I look back through my last two months, I look at what's there every day because I know that's actually important to me. Mm -hmm. For example, having eight abs might appear once every two weeks, but being fit, healthy and strong is there every day. So it comes back to actually knowing your DNA as well. I'm someone who will keep myself fit and healthy, but I'm not going to be on Men's Health magazine. But I'll be the largest builder in New Zealand. So, because that's on my list every day. Yeah. That's my that's my design. I think it's just being self-aware, isn't it? It's yeah. really understanding what it is that you really want and you don't just want it because someone else has got it yeah, or yeah. some form yeah. of comparison. Or, yeah, I think understanding yourself and why you really want things. You can't have some idol and say, I want to be just like such and such because you just you can't be. Such and such is already nailing that yeah. <laughs> and you can't be him because he's he's the bud version. There's no point being bud light. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I want to talk about tall poppy syndrome a little bit because anyone that seems to be doing I don't know what it is with New Zealand Matthew I don't know I don't know if it, I understand it's it's prevalent in Australia as well but we seem to have this culture in our community that anyone that seems to do well automatically feels like they're their necks out in the chopping block and majority of people just seem to take aim at it yeah and you yourself you've obviously you're doing really well but also you've fronted the business you're the face of the business like you've really put yourself out there are you aware of it or do you have any conscious thoughts around tall poppy syndrome oh, in fact I know you hate it I know I've heard you talk about it it's just a horrible thing I'd like to hear your thoughts on it oh look people are nasty I, I get horrible nasty things you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy said to me I think what happens though is you evolve with it like I remember when I made my first business videos I walked around the office about 30 times nervous as hell before I clicked the send button on Facebook right now 
now I do videos and post them every day and don't even blink. It's amazing. Sometimes some of the most damaging people are the people that should love you that are trying to protect you. Um, I've had members of my family sit down and say, hey, what are you doing? This is embarrassing. You've got to stop. You can't do that. You can't be you. You can't say fuck on Facebook. Like People that love you, and, and what it is is they have their version of them and their version of you, and when you evolve, right, you make them feel uncomfortable. And so what you have to do, there's sort of two ways, and this is how I handle it. Some people I just leave out of my life for certain periods. I've had times where I haven't had my father in my life for disagreements or things like this. Now we're great friends, it's amazing, but we've had differences of opinion and my way of dealing with that was just not seeing them and other members of the family and friends and girlfriends. Or this is from a guy called Grant Cardone, which I found really funny. He um, wrote a script um, for his mother because his mother was criticising his goals and sat down and said, now, Mum, I'm going to make, I think it was $100 million. And she she read, $100 million? What are you talking about? And he's like, read the script, Mum. And it's like, I support you, son. I love you. And he, he coached his family and the people around him to be what he needed them to be. Either's right or wrong. I I think firing people for short periods of time while you're in your growth stage is probably healthy because they don't understand where you're going and you don't really either and you don't need their approval. So you're better off to just to go achieve success and then come back and cuddle it out later yeah. on. Yeah, you, know, you mean fire people? It's not just employees. You're talking about it could oh, be friends, family, girlfriends, yeah. family, relatives. Like people go, oh, I can't stop seeing my parents. Bullshit. Yes, you can. Stop seeing them for two years. If they're criticising you and you have your goal that you want to achieve and they're criticising it, just say, hey, look, I love you both, but you're fired for two years while I'm in my growth stage. And people laugh at that, but you can't have that negativity, man. You've got enough hardship and pain. Like, we cry in the shower. Like, this isn't all fucking Instagram and popping champagne. This is hard. This is business. You need so. to have a team around you that supports you. And I think sometimes when it is your family even, and that's that's probably tough for most people, that sometimes the biggest critic might be your mother. Oh, no, and, and, and it actually is. Well, it's the most damaging. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason that is, it's not, there's no negative intent there. It's, it's say, if it is your mum, for example, your mum has her version of what success is and you're sort of putting yourself out there and going in the wrong direction in her mind. Even though her intention might be to keep you safe yeah. and she wants you to do well and be accepted and, and do well in your life, you are really focused on what you're doing and trying to do your thing and she it just doesn't fit into her mould of And success. she'll understand in the end when you're successful. Yeah. So just come back and hug it out later and just fire her temporarily. Yeah. yeah. So And also one more thing, <laughs> another thing I wish I learned earlier, just block people on Facebook. Don't get in arguments for two days replying to each other with witty replies. If someone's nasty and criticises you or you just can't be bothered justifying yourself, just block them. I used to spend hours and hours and hours in witty arguments with people criticising me for all sorts of shit. Like, you can't invest your energy on that. You've got to spend your energy winning. So just if, if in your business page or someone says something nasty, just block them. And it's, I've blocked family members. I've blocked family members that have criticised me. I'm here to be successful. I'm here to provide for my customers. I'm here to build the most livable city. I'm not going to sit around justifying myself to some Uncle Tim. I don't have an Uncle Tim, but yeah, you know what I, I mean. I understand, yeah, yeah. That's a big decision. Like, that's Just hard. Just block. No, yeah, no, but yeah, do you know what's yeah. harder? Sitting on Facebook for three days straight and in some big witty fucking chain replying to people, that's worse. It's yeah. hard on your soul. And I guess the ultimate, I don't want to say comeback, but is, is that you achieve what it is Go you're trying achieve. to do, that you yeah. find your version of success, whatever that is, and, and you're happy. Yeah. yeah. Results talk. Yeah.
Yeah. yeah. I don't, you don't have to do it in spite of them. Like, I don't, I don't think you should ever use someone's negativity as fuel because that means you're sort of relying on people being negative to you. But I think you're right. You just have to shut it out. While the sound's listening to you, you're so focused on what you're doing, you just don't have time for mm. that stuff. The odd bit of negative motivation's fine. I've been fueled on negative motivation at parts of my life, but I agree with you. A more healthy, sustainable fuel is have your vision, have your purpose, have your plan. I've done a lot of things in spite of people, but it's not sustainable long term. Doesn't make you happy either. Doesn't make no. That's why you get wrinkles. <laughs> what about challenges? I know any business. I oh got. I've had challenges in our business, and I've sat in accountants' offices, thought I was going to break down and <laughs> trying to hold tears back. What are some of the obviously you face challenges? You've alluded to a couple. Do you have any strategies, things that that you do if there is a roadblock? If you do hit something particularly hard in a day or in a in a project. You've just got to work. You've just got to work so hard. Like I've had some um, projects that have gone wrong when I've had no money. And I always just say, do the things you can do. I would just do anything I can do. Because when you're working, you're not thinking about the problem. You don't have the anxiety about the problem. You don't have the pain about the problem. You just go do things. You go to the job. You go to the area. You do the things you can do. I think I would have saved myself a lot more pain this has nothing to do with the question you asked, and we're going off on a tangent, but so, uh, it's important. I thought a successful business was a big flash office and it had the pretty office girl and the corporation on the top and all the different people and I'm sitting in my deck chair in the Palmers and I pop into the office and check on Jenny from accounts and see my six managers. That's not business, that's bullshit. That's Hollywood stuff that doesn't exist. And if I hadn't been trying to achieve that in the start of my business career, I would have saved myself a lot of pain because lots of the pain I caused myself was unnecessary growth decisions, unnecessary employment decisions, unnecessary business startups. Trying to look good rather than... Trying to look good good, as opposed to like a true business is like Apple. I want to give every single person a computer. So we design the best possible computer, the iPhone, and then we distribute it to the masses. Like a great gym where you have an amazing gym and you have all these people come and you give them an amazing experience and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So you'll save yourself a lot of hardship if you have a good business plan, a good mantra and you stick to your guns and you make your piece of the world the greatest piece ever. Yeah. And I think that's important what you said about sort of not trying to look good because I think there's this real sort of idea out there that you sort of just open a business and then all of a sudden you sort of start driving Range Rovers and drinking whiskey or cocktails Popping on champagne beaches. At yeah, the club. yeah, yeah. I think I think that that understanding that some of the most successful people I know, you'd have no idea. Oh, and also it's very hard to sell someone that owning a business is really hard and horrible and you have the hard times and you sit on the shower floor crying. It's not a sexy sales pitch. So we have all these people on the internet with these bottles popping champagne with women at the club and I signed up to this Bitcoin program that makes me $2,000 a day. And that's sexy, right? People go, oh, I want to be part of that. I want to be popping champagne at the club. But it's not business. It's not even real. But it's easy to sell and yeah. we have the internet so yeah. we have people selling it. And that's the idea of this podcast is to give a bit of a realistic insight into what it, what it does take. So back to dealing with challenges, is there any particular strategy? I mean, I like what you said about just 
getting to work. Like I, I think that's good. Like progress is better than perfection. Like you don't yeah. have to. If you're at a roadblock, I think one of the best bits of advice I've been given is just move. You yep. know, like just keep going. It doesn't matter if you're slightly off course. If you're gonna have to redo something later. The yep. yeah, the fact that you're moving forward is not only good for your mental state, but good for just your environment. I and, agree. And, and then eventually the answer unfolds itself. Something pops up. Something changes. Someone sees what you're doing, and and, and it always has a way of unfolding if you've got the right intent and you're moving. Yeah, just do the work. Yeah. You've mentioned things like goal setting, you've got a business partner. Is there anything that, you know, key fundamentals to your success that you think have led you to where you are today? Are there things that you've done or do regularly? You've mentioned your goal setting process. Is there anything else that you do that you think sort of been fundamental to to get you to where you are? Now? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. It's an Elon Musk quote, actually. It's think of what you do and then think of the most basic fundamentals you can fathom and then build up from there, right? So for me, it's like I create houses for people. Where do people want to live? Somewhere where they can live, work and play. Where do people live, work and play? In the city. What do people need to live in the city? Well, they want to be in a good location. They want high-quality materials. What can they do without? Oh, they can do without a car park. What can they do without? Three bedrooms when the average house only has 2.5 people living there. So I just took my circle, my piece of society, which is building homes, I broke it down to the most fundamental principles I could fathom and then just worked up really intelligently. And if you work up, it's like it's easier to dress up a chassis than dress down a Rolls Royce. Like that's that's sort of, yeah. yeah. So just think of your piece of society and just break it down to the most fundamental principles, cut out all the bullshit and work up from there and you'll have a very efficient, beautiful product. Keep it simple. Yeah, Elon Musk. Yeah, that I like good... that. He's done relatively well. He's done well relatively well. well. <laughs> <laughs> I actually listened to Rob Waddell speak yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he exactly the same as you just said. He said, you know, I walk into the Olympic arena and there's so much distraction, there's so much going on. You spent four years training to get there, and he said, all I focused on was making the boat go fast. You know, if I broke it right down, what was the fundamental reason I was there? Yeah. And it was to make the boat go fast. And yeah. he won a gold medal. So yeah, cut the shit. Worked it well from him. Yeah, that's really good advice. I just want to talk a little bit about your Facebook marketing strategy. Again, I alluded to it before, but, you know, particularly for your industry, it's something that's really unique. And yeah. is there a strategy behind that? Was that always the way you were going to do it? Did you notice an opportunity in the market to use social media um, and the internet to sell your product? Or was that something that more just evolved naturally? It was a mixture of trying to get our foot in the door. It, it kind of started as just trying to get attention because money follows attention, right? You can't sell your product if you're not seen. So it started as trying to get attention and then it sort of went on to, like if you Google what are property developers, it's like property developers are scum, leeches, like we have a bad name. So then it, it led on to, hey, let's actually be a property developer that's a good person. But we are good people. So it's not like we were um, doing anything different, but we were just showing the people what we're already doing. And then it really led on to just volume. And that's probably one piece of advice of people doing content. I am adamant, and people argue with me about this all the time, but I, I just don't really care because I know it's right. Just volume is better than quality. Like get your quality right. Be a good person. Speak properly. Don't look like you're homeless. Yeah. But volume. Because there's so much going on you're better to just always be there. And, that, and that's sort of our thing. And, and I make videos about like 
what nails we're using. True story. I'll, I'll go stand on a building site and talk about nails. But people like it. People want to see. Like people, we, we're talking about houses. People like looking on the building site. People like looking at nails. I just tell stories. We're a story brand. I talk about why I bought the site. I have champagne with a customer and, and talk about who the customer is and why they bought with us. I just constantly tell a story that's ongoing every single day, twice a day, 360 days a year for the 50 years that I'm doing this. And we just tell that story and people enjoy it. Yeah, I think documenting the process rather than sort of trying to create yeah. is, a, is a good way to look at it, which is what you seem to be doing. Yeah. You're just documenting building houses and it's it's working. Yeah, no, it, and, and it works well. We um, we get so much inquiry, it's ridiculous, from the internet and, and just from being ourselves. Yeah. So if, you, if there's someone listening that is doing something and they want to use social media, your advice is simply just to do a lot. Just, do a lot. Just start telling that story. Yeah. If you're not a good person, learn how to be a good person and then just be yourself on camera. And also, like, if you're in business, you should be so passionate about your product and that will radiate out of you and people will just be, want to be around that because like, everything in our life's horrible and negative. You watch the news and you bloody feel like the whole world's about to end and people just radiate towards someone that's like, hey, look how cool this is. Look what we're doing here. Isn't this great? Look at Bethany using our amazing pen. It makes her life really easy. Look how cool. And people just want to be a part of that because yeah. people are just sick of the negative shit. Yeah. Yeah. So you try and be the opposite. I like it. It's cool. Anything personal development wise you do? Like, are you a big reader? Do you listen to podcasts? Have you got mentors? Do you focus yeah. on learning? What is your sort I of- pretty much pick a, hand, a small handful of mentors who are just extremely wealthy Americans. People like Grant Cardone, people like Elon Musk, Andy Fasella. I try and do half an hour of personal development a day, whether it's watching a video on YouTube or reading a book or quite often I'll listen to an audio book or a podcast when I'm at the gym. Personal development is so important. And then there's a few key books you have to read, like The Lean Startup and you just Google top business books, all yep. of the um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all of that stuff. There's just stuff you need to read to get the fundamentals. I also love history. I listen to things like the history of Rome. I love hearing about civilizations and conquerors. I find things like that very inspiring. And also history is actually a lot more relevant than you realize. Everything repeats itself. The cycles are very similar. So, yeah, that, that's my personal development. Yeah, I think it's cool you mentioned that you've got mentors like Elon Musk, and I think that's something that people often look over, that the way the world is at the moment with the access, all of a sudden you can be, as long as you've got a cell phone and internet connection, you can be engaged in Elon Musk's life and Richard Branson's life and all these people, all of a sudden we have access yeah, yeah, to these cool, people eh? and you can actually be like, to billionaires, that you, in, in, previous, in 10 years ago you would have had no hope in your life of mm. ever sort of even meeting and all of a sudden you sort of start to see what they're thinking on a day-to-day basis and I think that's important people say well a mentor has to be someone I can have a coffee with every day like you probably haven't even met any of those no, people no, you know, no, but you can I, I do have good mentors in my life like um, my family have have been great mentors in their own unique ways but yeah, yeah the most powerful advice I've received has been from a billionaire through YouTube and like you say 10 years ago no one had that we're, we're so lucky to be sitting here yeah, I think social media can be used as a distraction if you let it be. Yeah. But it can also be used as an amazing resource. Like if you follow 
cats in stupid places or <laughs> bar fights, then your your Facebook feed is going to be full with useless stuff. But if you follow Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Tony Robbins or you know people that are doing well, all of a sudden your social media experience actually starts to teach you stuff rather than drain. Well, then it your becomes brain. normal. Like so, I'm I'm literally so you could call it hypnotized or brainwashed or normal or fixed. I think that making hundreds of millions of dollars is a reasonable goal. I think that's a normal goal because all the people who I surround myself with electronically, that's all they do. And I look at them and I say, well, I don't think they're more intelligent than me. I don't think they're more special than me. So why can't I do it? And, and so to we, me, it's just normal. I think that's the importance, you've alluded to another fact there, of, of, of making sure you're intentional about who you surround yourself with. Because I think as human beings, we're, we're herd creatures. You know, we like to fit in because that's where we're safe. When you look back, you know, over our evolution, we're safe when we're amongst people that are similar to us. We don't like to go out and be different. So you tend to evolve to whatever it is your most common denominator is of your circle. And the internet has given us the advantage of being able to be in circles that are pretty incredible out of this world yeah yeah and i think that's important as well we you know it sort of ties onto what we mentioned before about family and friends as well if they're not aligned with your vision then by going out there on your own that's when the tall poppy syndrome comes in that's what people try it's so important to make sure your community your inner circle is completely aligned with what you're trying to do and they support you as well yeah, i want agree. everyone to win you know yeah. like i'm in a business and i've got competitors but i don't want to win at the cost of anyone else like i want everyone to win and i think that if you surround yourself with people that have got mindsets like that it that's really the abundance beneficial. mindset versus scarcity mindset. Yeah, people yeah. with a scarcity mindset are very scary because yeah. they think that the success is limited and you can only have success if you're taking it from them. It's not yeah. good people to surround yourself with. No, not at all. You said off air that you always knew you'd be successful. How do you define success? What does that look like to you? At the current stage of life that I'm in now, it is financial. It is being the biggest builder, it is winning at a very tangible scale. It's I want to be making X, and X is a large number. Um, I want to be the largest builder in Christchurch, and then I want to go on to be the largest builder in New Zealand. Very tangible. If you interview me in 10 years, I'll probably have goals around being the best father to children and blah, 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 but I'm not there yet. I'm here to win. I always had a hunger to win, so I always knew I was going to win because I could just feel it in my gut. So and, and then when I started writing goals and all that, it just became more apparent. But you got to remember, I've been doing this for quite a long time as well. Like I started my first business at seventeen. Like I'm eight. This I'm eight years in. I'm on my ninth year now. It's a long time. After four years, your goals become at a certain level. Then after five years, your become goals come at a certain level. So like I'm approaching my first decade. So I may have on year four decided that yeah, I can do this. I can make this happen. And here I am today. So yeah. Yeah, is it something you think about, about how, I mean, you mentioned how it evolved. I think that's important that, that what we found successful when we were 12 years old is probably, you know, yeah. I don't know having a good lunch and, <laughs> you know, the girl you like chatting with you or bumping into you as you walk down the hallway. And, and, and I think it's important to acknowledge that success does evolve, but I also think it's important to define it, to know what it looks like. And it's different for everyone because yeah. if you don't know what it looks like, you can't ever get there. And that's where that goals book by your bed helps. Yeah, yeah. Because you're making, you write it down. But I think you have to have a level of financial success. Like you need to be able to look after your family. You need to be able to look after the people around you. It's nice to make money and give it to charity. Like these are all nice things to do. And if you're someone that is capable of being successful and you don't, you're actually doing a disservice to your loved ones and your community because you could be achieving more and being a real true contributor to society. 
Yeah, and I think that you know, even in New Zealand, you know, that's a, I, I appreciate your, your honesty because sometimes even just saying that, you know, to me, successful is, is at the moment is a financial goal that can be that can carry stigmas with it of its own. Mm. You know, it is tough, yeah. but I also think it's important. And I think again, having more money doesn't make you a better person. It just exposes what you were like. Beforehand. I think I'll, I'll add one more point to that. I would feel absolutely awful if I was massively financially successful and all my customers didn't get value from the assets they bought from me. So that's why my whole building the most livable city, I'm very, very passionate about Christchurch succeeding because that protects the investments of everyone that's come on this journey with me. So my goals are one and the same, like I want to be successful, but also I need to make the city amazing so all of the homes I've sold perform well. Yeah. I can't not win yeah. because we've sold tens of millions of dollars, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate now, not hundreds, hundred, maybe close to 200. But the point being is we have to win. There's yeah. too many people involved, we just have to win. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. What's next? What's next? Um, like I said, if we can sell 25 a month, we'll be the largest builder in Christchurch. That would be cool. I would like next year to build houses in Auckland and Melbourne but not at the expense of Christchurch being great. So Christchurch will have our love and affection and all of our energy. But I would like to, like I met a, I went to a function a year ago in Brisbane and I met a 37-year-old builder who's worth $500 million. He has $3 billion of apartments under construction because he is operating in a bigger market than me. New Zealand only has 4 million people. Christchurch only has 400,000. He's operating in Australia, which, I don't know, 40 million roughly. And if you go over to America, it's 400 million. So if you go over to China, it's billions. So there is part of me that wants to enter into a bigger economy. And one thing that would give me is if I can be a successful builder in a bigger economy, I can bring capital back to a beautiful place like Christchurch and do some cooler projects bigger projects that I could be really proud of. and Not that I'm, I'm proud of everything I do, but it'd be nice to do some big trophy things that Christchurch hasn't seen before. And which that still aligns with your vision of building yeah. the most livable city. Yeah. Man, that's great. If you, lo- if you woke up tomorrow and everything, you'd lost everything, you had 10 grand, what would you do? You wake up tomorrow morning, it's 8 a.m., everything's gone, you've got 10 grand in your bank account. What does it look like? Okay, I would get a job in construction. I would go and find the largest construction company or builder in the city. I would get a job with them. I don't care if it's digging holes or being a senior person. I'd like to think I could talk them into being a senior person. I would do that until I had slightly more than 10 grand because in property you can't go in with 10 grand. Once I have myself settled, I would do my first project. I'd buy a block of land, build one or two houses. Once I bank that, I'd buy another block of land, build four to six houses. Once I finish that, I'd do 16. And once I finish that, I'd do 30. And um, I would just get on my hands and knees and crawl just like I have for the last eight years. Because I, I believe in the process. I know if you do a good job, if you're a good person, you work hard every day, I know you win because I've done it. Like we, we're sitting here in a beautiful apartment. I live a great quality of life because I build great homes for people and I know the process works. And, and I do understand at the start of the process, it's scary. You're like, I'm doing all this work and what am I getting? But it works out. If you write your goals down every day, if you write your tasks, if you do the right thing, you'll win. Trust the process. That's good. Now, I think it's, it's a good question because people out there look at, you know, someone who's achieved maybe what you have and they go, all right, well, 
that's so unattainable for me. It's so far away. But what it does, that question brings you right back to the start and say, all right, well, if I am at the start, which I'd say, you know, most people could probably get together 10 grand. It's like, oh, well, how would you start? And you just start it. Well, I'd get a job and I'd start with one and I'd do another and you just keep going. So I think it's a cool insight. I'm a big believer in your first business should be side hustle. I'm a big believer that, like, I, I had a job. I was working as an apprentice builder, then I did the work for Horncastle Homes. Like, I had a job right until I was 21, and my business was something that was very much on the side. Yeah. So well, there's a one gap in the middle where I ran it. But, yeah, yeah, I would definitely just get a good job that you're good at, get a good job in line with what the direction you want to head, and do what you're doing on the side. There's a lot. I heard the rule of eights. There's, there's you know, there's 24 hours in a day. So you you work for eight, you sleep for eight. It still leaves eight hours to do something else. And if you yeah. say, oh, I've got an hour of commuting, and then I've got an hour of you know domestic, whether it's showering or bathroom or um, eating, and that still leaves you with six hours, for example. But anyone that's saying those problems to you, they're not going to succeed yeah, anyway because yeah, yeah, they're just so, making bullshit excuses. Yeah, you're 100 right. Like just you'll find time. I've had times in my life where I've slept five hours a night. I can assure you, you can do it for a whole year. You can sleep five hours every night and you can work and you can live off cigarettes and coffee. I can pr- I've done it. <laughs> yeah. There's just a sacrifice you have to yeah. make. And I think that's a, that's a good point as well. And, and it's interesting you talk about that because often people will have a goal or a vision with where they want to be and they'll ask someone what it takes, but they won't ask what it's sacrificed. Because yeah. if you want something, like for example, we talked about abs before. If you want a six pack, it's well, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. So that sacrifice is going to be you have to sacrifice time to go to the gym. You're going to have to sacrifice not some having the, the beer with some, your buddies some of the things on you Friday. Eat and there's a sacrifice. And so, and, and so the problem is when there's a difference between what someone wants and what they're willing to sacrifice to get there. Because if you've got a big, audacious goal, you're going to have to sacrifice some shit to get there. And I think making sure people understand that is really important. Yeah. Yeah. What are you obsessed with right now? I've got a couple of last questions. What are you obsessed with? Like, what's got your attention? Like, what lights you up? And it might be something small. It might be an Instagram page. It might be a restaurant. It might be a wine. It might be someone. It might be a podcast or a book. Like, what's sort of front of mind for you at the moment? Me aside, something external, I loved the History of Rome podcast. I loved hearing about Julius Caesar conquering empires. I Stuff like that motivates me. That was really cool. I was actually just sick. I'm, that's why I'm a bit croaky. When I was sick and trying not to work, I watched Narcos. Loved hearing about Pablo Escobar. It's, it's very cool to watch other people be successful because you're like, Julius Caesar's not more intelligent than I am, and he... He conquered 66, 70% of everyone alive. So, like, you can do all these amazing things and just watch stories of people who have already done it. It's yeah. cool. Yeah, and as far as what I'm obsessed with at the moment and through my business, there's currently 7.5 billion people in the world. Before I die, there's going to be 10 billion, and it's looking like anywhere from 500 million to 2 billion people will be displaced by climate change. We have a horrendous amount of homes we need to build, and it's working out how do we do that where we build high-quality, affordable homes en masse for the world. That's cool. That interests me. I reckon housing will be one of the largest social divides. Housing and the environment will be the largest social divide and the largest battles we'll have to come together and solve as a civilization. I agree. Or race of people or whatever you want to call us. Yeah. I think it's really cool how your passions align so well with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, do you think that's important to make sure that... It has to, yeah. yeah. It's too hard. It's too hard not to be passionate about it. You would give up. It's honestly not worth the money at all. The emotional damage, the relationship damage, the family relationship damage, like it's not worth it. 
So you have to love what you do, or you will crack. Yeah, the five five hour sleeps and the yeah the the. Well, you know, it's not worth it for money. Like yeah, what you yeah. do to your body and your soul is just not worth it. So you need something bigger than money. And it's so long as well. It was let's say six years before I made proper money, where I could siphon a bit out and play with it. Yeah, maybe seven years. Yeah, it's a long time. It is. Yeah. And so if you're not passionate about it, you just you, you know, break. get there. Yeah, you give up. You go get a job. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's anything wrong with that. You've got to know your DNA. 90% of you will not have the DNA to do it. That's just how it works. So know your DNA. Number seven in Google still probably makes $2 million a year. Yeah. Like there's places for really fucking awesome number twos, number threes, number sixes. Like don't be ashamed if you're not this person. And if you are, good luck. <laughs> Self-awareness is key, you're right, just understanding what it is that you enjoy, what you're good at, what your passions are, and then aligning your vocation with that. Yeah. Shit with people in my business on seven figures. Pretty cool. Yeah, really cool. And it's not like you're talking number threes and stuff, so it's, yeah. Anything else you want to leave everyone with before we finish up? Oh, parting note. Okay, there's a, a speech Muhammad Ali did to Harvard University and it was a big long speech about how they're the 1% and they have the ability to change the world. Essentially, if you're listening to this podcast, you're self-aware enough that you probably are the 1%. And when he left, they said, give us a poem. And he said, me, we. And essentially, it's the shortest poem, I think, in history or something like that. It says that Your actions and what you do don't just speak for yourself. It speaks for a larger circle. It speaks for your family. It speaks for your community. So make sure your actions are doing that. Make sure your actions are saying your family will be proud of, your community will be proud of, your social circle or your country or your species or human race. Do something great. That's a great way to end it. Where can people find you if they want to be in touch or follow you or keep up with what you're doing? I'm most active on Facebook. If you search Matthew Horncastle, you'll find me. If you search Matthew Horncastle everywhere, you'll find me. If you're interested in property, we have a great mailing list where we send all the developments we're doing through our company page. You just subscribe to the mailing list and you'll see what we're building. www.williamscorporation.co.nz And hey, mate, I really appreciate you having me on. It means a lot. Thank no, you very much. No, I appreciate much. you being here. You're a good man. Good all luck. Right. I hope to speak to you again soon. Cool. Thank you. Take care. And there it is, first podcast in the bag. Thank you so much to Matthew Horncastle, but most importantly, thank you to you. If you are still listening, holy moly, do I appreciate you. Thank you so much. The Road to Success podcast is something I've been planning for a while. I've just got the guts to do. Um, There's going to be a number of different episodes with obviously a number of different people with the idea that it's going to help you by interviewing and chatting with people that have achieved some form of success in their life or have got a really cool insight that they can share with me. You can listen to and hopefully it can empower you on your own road to success whatever that may be if you do want to find me online I am Matty Lovell on both Facebook and Instagram please reach out flick me a message I would love to hear from you but the most important thing you could do for me if you got any form of value out of the podcast and the chat I had with Matthew is please share this episode I would be hugely indebted and very grateful to you it would honestly mean the world to me other than that that's the first episode the road to success in the bag holy moly done and dusted I'm actually really proud of doing this it has taken a while I put it off for a long time I really appreciate you listening thanks so much and talk to you soon see you